Yes, I'd like to welcome you to the next episode of Crosscut Maker Podcast. And this podcast is pretty much exclusively now towards eschatological and current up, uh, current event updates. If you have listened to me in the past or recently even, you'll know that in the prior uh, past, I guess it's been about a year and a half now since I've been doing pretty much on the podcast only eschatology and how it relates to current events but I still do a lot of other things on social media crosscut maker I'm on most platforms and crosscutcommentaries.simplesite.com is where I have my main website and then eoa-indicators.simplesite.com is where I summarize the what I kind of do on the podcast as kind of a summary of what I think is going on as it relates to uh, my belief that we are approaching the tribulation period. So I don't know when I did my last update, but let's see here. I think it was on June 18th. So it's been a couple, two or three weeks. It is July 10th right now, and really there hadn't been a whole ton uh, going on. Things have kind of stabilized a little bit with the administration, the new administration in Israel. Um, but there have been a few things going on that's notable now when I say things have stabilized I'm not claiming that I believe that we all you know things have leveled off and we are not approaching the tribulation period I do believe we are I believe we are very close and um, <clears throat> but there hasn't been anything overwhelming happen in the past three weeks so I just kind of collected some notes and I got just a little bit here it's not probably not gonna be all that long one thing is there was, and you can just Google this, it's called the Giant Statue, and where I guess they're planning on putting in 21 major cities in the world, this gigantic, uh, almost like, I guess it's like a robot, it's a, it's a, it's a, a statue that moves and interacts, it's a, um, I'm not sure what, but what the best word is for it, but I just, when I first heard that, I thought, of course, the, um, and it's more of a technological statement that I'm making here is obviously the giant statue or any of the if they do end up putting them in the cities it's not the image of the beast that people have to worship in the tribulation period but you can definitely see the technology there yeah, I mean it was almost frightening to see oh what's the exact verse where it's in Revelation chapter 13 I believe um where it talks about where at the midpoint of the tribulation period the Antichrist sits in the temple, claims himself to be God, and they and then the false prophet will come along and he has them uh let's see here, Revelation chapter thirteen. And he's the beast from the earth, and then he uh verse 14 so revelation chapter 13 14 and 15 and he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which it was given him to perform and we're talking about the false prophet in the presence of the beast telling that's the antichrist telling those who dwell on the earth those are lost people to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life so that's talking about the the, the death and resurrection supposedly of the antichrist that make that deceive people into thinking that he actually is God. Of course, my opinion, it's a 
deception. And then verse 15, and it was, and this is what we're talking about, and it was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast could would even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. So it looks like you have this interactive image or statue of the Antichrist. And somehow, again, it says that he gives breath to it, and in my opinion, it's probably going to be, you know, people talk about whether it be a hologram or other things that actually appears to be alive. But again, just Google the giant statue and tell me if that doesn't sound like what we just read in Revelation chapter 13. So you have that, and then Lapid, he is the, uh, I think he's the foreign minister of Israel. He's the one who will be prime minister in two years if the coalition government, uh, the unity government holds together. But he, I think he had, probably has more influence than the current prime minister, Bennett, on the uh, peace negotiations that they're having. He's the one kind of more involved in that. It seems like he's kind of running that. And he is more liberal. And he is much uh, more easily, more likely to bend on a two-state solution. And so one thing I thought that might have been holding back the uh, peace agreement talks or the peace talks with the new Israeli government is Prime Minister Bennett was uh, just as adamant or just as opposed to a two-state solution as Netanyahu was. And, and, I thought, and that's the main concern of the Biden administration. So I thought that would be a setback. But the more I'm observing the Israeli government, it seems like Bennett is kind of just a puppet where he kind of agreed I'll be... Uh, the prime minister first, and of course, he only got six or seven percents of the percentages of the uh, his party did of the total vote, and so he was really not overwhelmingly popular. But he ends up being prime minister through how they worked out the, cold, uh, the unity government. But I think he probably is much more. Uh, he, he's got core. He's got beliefs that he built up to the election, but I think now pretty much he's he is a. Uh, becoming a lot more flexible because he has to be if he wants to keep his position all right and we'll get a little bit more back into that uh the other note i had here is uh there was an article i saw on the new what they're calling the eurasian cooperation between russia turkey and iran it's not really a coalition or it's, it's not really like a, a you know it's more of a cooperation than it is a coalition their anti-west is the core principle that they have in common and so you see was really a coalition of convenience and of course the reason we always bring up Russia Turkey and Iran is because they are the three core they're the three main countries that are involved in the Ezekiel 38 39 invasion of Israel which I believe will happen in the tribulation period kind of towards the end of the first half is my opinion but um, so you see just more and more they're not they're not uh, allies per se at least publicly but they definitely have a, uh, a, a, an increasing cooperation between these three countries. Now, at the time of the invasion in the Ezekiel 38-39 war, we know Russia's motives will be financial. That's what it says. It says they come to take uh, loot and plunder. They come to take Israel's stuff. So theirs is, uh, more, is a financial motive where the other uh, countries that come along with them, Turkey and Iran in particular, obviously... I think Turkey and Iran are, it's more of a religious motivation. There are Islamic countries and they, they want Israel wiped out. Where I think when Russia, when, when the invasion happens, Russians, Russia's primary motive will be to take what Israel has financially. They're not as 
uh, religiously motivated to wipe out Israel. But they're all going to come together for different, you know, you see they'll have different motives, but they'll have a, a kind of like what's developing now, a, a cooperation, a coalition, because they have a, a goal in mind, you know, and so they all, they will come together. And, and people are noticing that, I don't know why they call it the Eurasian cooperation, but you can actually Google that word too, E-U-R-A-S-I-A-N. There's a couple articles on that where people are noticing Russia, Turkey, and Iran are working together more and more. And of course, that fits the end time picture. Now, lastly, uh, kind of going back to what we were talking about with Israel and the peace talks, because I do think, you know, my, uh, my main uh, the thing I watch the most when it comes to uh, how close we are to the tribulation period is the, uh, again, the tribulation period, and you get this question all the time online, is, you know, people actually ask, are we in the tribulation period now, or what seal are we in, if we are, and, and I come back with the same answer every time because the, the tribulation period begins with a seven-year peace agreement involving Israel, a very clear, definable, observable, uh, the world will know when when that happens. Now, the world won't know they entered the tribulation period, otherwise they would be believers in Scripture and they'd be Christians, but the lost, lost people will know that we could say, hey, that seven-year peace agreement involving Israel just happened, and if you're if you have believers, and you will, around when the tribulation period begins, they'll be able to say, okay, we just entered the tribulation period. The seal, the first seal was opened today, when because that's what opens the tribulation period, is a seven-year peace agreement involving Israel. So the peace negotiations are what I watch closely over there. Again, what we just talked about with Russia, Turkey, and Iran, global government, the drive for global government, other things, there's what I call super signs that are clearly uh, important for the tribulation period to happen. But the primary focus is the the peace talks in the Middle East, and it is just uh, growing and growing. The concern, I think, the the, the Israeli-Gaza war a couple months ago in May really accelerated everybody's concern that, and on top of that, you have Iran developing nuclear. You know they're very getting very close to developing a nuclear weapon. So there's all kinds of really humongous things that could happen to explode the Middle East into chaos, and everybody knows it. So everybody's trying to now really hammer down and focus on getting some kind of a broad peace agreement in the Middle East. And so anyway, so we had the Abraham Accords with the Trump administration, and it, you know it appeared publicly at least that the Biden administration had. Uh, said those were good things and that they were going to promote them and encourage them. I was always skeptical of that because anything that Trump had to do with it seems like it doesn't matter if it's helpful to the country or not. They just want it to go away and they want to overrule it because it was just Trump. But they said publicly that they were going to, that they were for the Abraham Accords and they were wanting them to expand more. And so there actually is some fruit of the Abraham Accords going forward. Lapid, again the foreign minister, uh, of Israel, the Prime Minister in waiting, went to the United Arab Emirates for the first time. I guess there was some kind of a unique breakthrough on that. The first time that position has been to that country, I think, and it just there has been some proof from the Abraham Accords going forward. Now, nothing has gone forward in the sense of adding more countries to it, 
And yet, and so the Biden administration publicly says, yeah, we're for this. But then we come to find out that the Biden administration has withdrawn funding from the Accords that were a big part of the deal. You know, with uh, there were some fighter jets that were supposed to go to the UAE from, from the United States. There's all kinds of financial motives that were tied into these Abraham Accords. And, and the Biden administration has withdrawn all the funding. So they can say one thing, again, this is not surprising to me at all, is that they are not, they are not for the Abraham Accords. Because in my opinion, the reason the Abraham Accords are something they're not for is because they have the potential to leave behind the Palestinians. And we've been talking about that ever since the Abraham Accords went forward. I thought this is a very humongous deal, mainly because it neutralized the Palestinians. It weakened their position. Because up until the Abraham Accords, everything was tied to whether the Palestinians would, the Palestinian Authority wouldn't have, wouldn't have anything to do with peace talks, and they don't want peace with Hamas and the and the people in the in the Palestinian Authority. They really don't want peace with Israel. They want Israel wiped off the map. So they're not looking for a two-state solution. They're looking for the elimination of Israel. And so, but the Abraham Accords showed that you can actually broaden peace in the Middle East without the Palestinians, and they knew it, and they were panicking. They were, they were calling for all kinds of, uh, you know, the first they were criticizing every country that was getting involved, but when they realized that this thing had momentum and was going forward, they began to call out to the United Nations and everywhere else where the, to get involved so that they wouldn't be left behind in, that, in the negotiations. Now, again, everything changed when the Biden administration came in because that was Trump, and I believe that was the right way to handle peace talks in the Middle East is to, okay, well, the Palestinians, they don't, they don't want peace. They're not even, they're not, you can't negotiate with people who want everything. And that means everything means that you don't exist anymore. That's not going to happen. And so he worked around that and got started getting things done. But now the Biden administration comes back in. And I say come back in, which the Biden administration is really just an extension of the Obama administration. Same people running everything pretty much. And, of course, I think uh, who knows how much influence Obama himself has because of Biden's health and everything. And that's something else we'll mention in a little bit about his health. Man, it's really, really difficult to... He's not getting any better when it comes to his his, uh, his uh, coherence. But in, but we're talking about here with the, uh, the Abraham Accords. So they pulled the funding. And that's not surprising because they want to focus on the two-state solution on the Palestinians. Because you have to remember this, like we just said. The, the Biden administration is just the third Obama administration. It's all of that. Same people. Same philosophies, everything else. And you have to remember going back to, and this is kind of one of the things with the Black Lives Matters and all the riots that happened, and then it led to when the Gaza-Israel conflict was happening, then the same groups came out and were saying the same things, like parrots of, of things that have gone on in the past. Now, and this is what I'm talking about, is that Barack Obama sat under a preacher, quote-unquote, and I put the quotes in... He's not a preacher. He's not a Christian, but his preacher was had these viewpoints. He called Israel an apartheid state. He said Jesus was a Palestinian, and that the Palestinians had the Europeans come and take their country. And so these are very in like when the Gaza conflict was going on a few months ago. You heard these same points, calling Israel a terrorist state and apartheid state, that, and. Uh, and of course, I even heard more people say that Jesus was a Palestinian and everything else. And 
of course that's not true biblically Jesus Christ is Jewish according to his human nature and of course he's God also he's he is the king of the Jews not the king of Palestinians um, that's clear if you read scripture and so these this viewpoint is is pro-Palestinian anti-Israel and then and again I'm not saying I would say this that that Obama's preacher quote-unquote Jeremiah oh, what's his name his first or last name was Jeremiah Jeremiah Wright he didn't want Israel to exist I can tell you that you listen to five minutes of him talk and you realize where he stood on the existence of Israel and so Barack Obama sits under this guy for 20 years not, not 20 minutes gets offended and walks away not 20 days or 20 sermons 20 years Okay, you don't sit under somebody for 20 years and, unless you agree with what they're saying and so it's no secret to me I always knew that Barack Obama was not for the state of Israel and so did they so did Benjamin Netanyahu so did many people in the uh, Israeli administrations because it's very obvious everything he did worked against the state of Israel including lighting the Middle East on fire with the uh, Arab Springs that's a whole nother issue but anyway so we're going to come back to where I'm at is that the Biden administration is just the third Obama administration and so it's not surprising at all that it all the focus goes back to the Palestinians. So that was kind of a big, um, kind of a noticeable thing that they withdrew the funding from the Abraham Accords because they want them to fail. They want to go back to giving the Palestinians the power in the negotiations. So we'll see where that goes. And yeah, just on a brief note, I didn't write this down, but I meant to. Um, just watching Biden and his health, I, you know, I, I, my heart goes out to him in one aspect because he's he's a lost person he's a Roman Catholic but he's which is a false religion but you can just his life and his policies and his beliefs are all unbiblical so he's a lost man so I worry about that because if he dies he dies in his sins that's the top concern or should be for a Christian but also he just is not uh, he is not capable of doing the job anymore he has to have a piece of paper in front of him all the time you know, in, in, in order to answer any of this, the basic questions, and you can, everybody notices, it's just the media is going along because there's, they are so left that they realize that they cannot, you know, this is what we got. And I think, and this is what I thought for quite a while now, is, is I thought Harris would be somebody who would step in maybe pretty quickly because they could, I think they could legitimately claim the 25th Amendment that he's not capable of doing his job anymore with his, with his mental capacity. I, believe that but they're protecting him now because Harris is not anywhere near ready she is so inexperienced and she's done such a uh, horrible public job that even the Democrats are already saying there's they, it doesn't matter who the Republicans run in 2024 she's not going to win and Biden's not going to be able to run they know that now um, and so they're panicking about that and so and that doesn't surprise me again this is where I've, I've thought this for quite a while is that just in the structure of the the coalition of ten that that begins the tribulation period. It seems like the Antichrist is not one of the original ten, that he's somebody who comes along, he, and that means that he's either a newcomer or a former political leader. And so I've I've always thought that the Antichrist will not hold political office at the time of the rapture, which would accelerate things to the tribulation period. And that's my viewpoint on that. And I think so right now we have an incredible. Uh, 
power vacuum in the West because in every and this is dangerous right now because Putin knows it. Putin is not a dummy. He knows that Biden is not coherent and that he's being run. And so does China. So does Iran. I mean, it's just it's and they're pressing and they're pushing and they're testing as much as they possibly can. And of course, whoever is running the show, it's not Biden. You know, right now they're just basically letting Russia and everybody roll all over us. And that's how it is with every new administration. You get tested. And Biden has done a few things, or somebody has done a few things, you know, a few air attacks. But there was another cyber attack from Russia on some of our companies here this week. And and everybody's watching to see if Biden responds because he said he had a meeting with Putin a couple weeks ago. And he said that he would respond if that happened again. Well, we'll see about that. But... My point here is that he is not uh, capable of doing being the president, but he's going to be the president, and I don't think anything's going to change on the Democratic side because they realize that Harris is not ready at all. But again, I think that just sets the table more for a person other than somebody who's in office to come along and to be part, to be the solution to the problems after the removal of the church and. So we'll see how that goes. So that's about all I have right now. Like I said, it was kind of a uh, little quieter of a couple weeks, but I'm convinced more and more we're a day, every day I wake up, I go, we're a day closer. We're a day closer. And again, here's what I think. The, the, there's a hidden accelerant that the world doesn't see. So the, the, so the world is being set up for the tribulation period. I don't think there's any doubt in my mind on that. And it's just going forward, and it's going forward. And then there's going to be an accelerant, and that is going to be a global cataclysmic event that that has that will trump everything. That's going. It'll make COVID look like uh, a hiccup. It'll make everything look like small change. And that'll be the rapture of the church, the global removal of believers. And it's going to be a noticeable event. And then the consequences of having people taken with whatever they're doing at the time. And you've had these movies where it talks about, you know, it shows all these airplanes crashing and all this. It might be a little dramatic. But whatever a Christian was doing or is doing, driving a car and they get raptured, well, the car doesn't have a driver anymore, and et cetera, et cetera. And that's just the fact that everybody will know something. I believe the, the trumpet blast that happens when they're removed will be audible to everyone. And, of course, they'll explain it away by whatever reasons. But... It will be a significant global event that will change everything and that will, in my opinion, tie all the loose ends to all the puzzle pieces we see coming together and converging right now. That it will be the accelerant where I don't believe there will be much time between the rapture and the tribulation period because everything is working that way anyway and then you'll get an accelerant. You might have a week or two, in my opinion, maybe a little bit longer, maybe a little bit less, where people are going to be panicking and they're going to say, we need a solution now. And Biden is not the solution. So that's where I think we're going still to this day. And so we will see. Like I said, I just kind of collect information. And as I gather it, then when I feel like it's time to do a podcast, I do it. Could be a week from now. Could be two weeks from now. Could be a month from now. It just kind of depends on how things go. But I always close with a gospel presentation because, again, you're not, nobody's ever going to be saved by recognizing the tribulation just began or uh, anything you know what people what 
you, what saves a person from their sins, and again, and getting saved out of the tribulation period, is, that's pretty good. You wouldn't, you wouldn't want to be here. But what's more, way more important, is getting saved from the eternal wrath due for your sins, which is eternal, never-ending torment for, the, for your unforgiven sins. And so I always close with a gospel presentation. One day we will all face the one true and living holy God, and you need to have your sins forgiven and be reconciled to Him before that occurs. And that only happens biblically by repentance, and that is confessing your sinfulness and hopelessness from your heart to God and faith, believing the gospel. That is who Jesus Christ is. He's truly man and the one true God, and trusting only in his redemptive work. And that is, is he lived without sin. He lived a perfect life. He, uh, he died on a cross for the sins of sinners. He died in place of sinners. And he was raised from the dead. That's his atoning work. And God put his stamp of approval on his atoning work by the resurrection from the dead. And the way I, I like to think about that is that he absorbed the wrath of God due for sins for, for people, for billions of people. And he absorbed, But he actually satisfied eternal wrath. However, again, that's... If you die in your sins, you'll never satisfy the wrath of God. Now, there's multiple reasons why hell is eternal, but one of them is you can never satisfy the wrath of God to do for your unforgiven sins. Ever, for yourself. Not even one sin. Where the, the incarnate God, Jesus Christ, he actually paid the penalty of eternal hells for billions of people. Because, of course, he is God incarnate. He was able to do that. And... So he actually satisfied the wrath of God due for the sins of who knows how many people, the elect. And when he had exhausted that, he said on the cross, it is finished. What he meant by that is he had paid the eternal debt for sin for people completely. It was over, and then he gave up his own life. They didn't kill him. He, gave, he screamed loudly to show everybody he was still very alive and he was giving up his life on his own terms that's what you can do that if you're God incarnate and that's who he is but then he was raised if he was actually if he actually died for his own sins or you know that he didn't satisfy the wrath of God then he never would have raised from the dead but the fact that he had no more he was imputed or you know he was treated as if he committed the sins of billions of people and then once those sins were paid the, the justice for, then he no longer had sin on him anymore. He, the only reason he stayed in the ground, in the grave, from Friday to Sunday, is to demonstrate that he was truly dead. His human nature was truly dead. That's it. That's the only reason. He could have been raised immediately because he was no longer, he no longer had any sin. Just like when he went to the cross, he had no sin because he never committed one. He paid, in substance, he, he was imputed the sins of believers past, present, future, all the, all the believers only. He actually died in place of the elect. And so, when he was raised from the dead, that was showing that he had actually paid that. So the resurrection verified that God the Father approved of his atoning work. And so, that's, that's but, you, but again, the call is for you to believe. You to believe. You, you only receive the forgiveness of sins by faith and who he is and what he's done. You have to put your personal trust in him. His work does nothing for you if you don't believe. So the call to the sinner is to repent and believe, like we just covered. 
If you genuinely do this, you will be instantly and permanently covered by the righteousness of Christ, and he will have been treated as if he committed all of your past, present, and future sin. If you refuse the offer of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you will ju be judged according to your works, and unless you have lived without even one sin like Christ, well, that will end in eternal conscious condemnation. So it's the only way to have your sins forgiven. That's it. That's why, again, why is Jesus the only way? Because he's the only incarnate God. Only He's God, and he took on flesh, and he paid the penalty for sins, and he lived without sin. So there's, that's why he's the only way. All right. Well, like I said, I don't know when the next podcast will be, but I'll just keep an eye on things, and maybe the rapture will occur before I have to do another one. But we'll see. Time will tell. But until next time, may Christ be known.